Planeswalkers. I'm your host, Trick Jarrett. Here are my two co-hosts, Gavin Verhey, Tifa Robles. Yeah. We'll, t- we'll talk about that name change <laughs> in a second. But we also have a special guest this episode, Mr. Matt Tabak. Hey, Trick. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing, my Good. Friend? I'm good. You are the first guest we've had on this podcast. Is that true? No. First guest who's taller than me. Oh. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> I think I'm the only person in the building taller than you, so uh, I think the odds were small that that would happen, <laughs> but here we are. Never tell me the odds. For those who don't know, Matt is the rules manager for Magic, so if he ever, uh, you know, if you ever lose to a silly rule, it's all his fault, and he's probably killed 100 cards this week already. That is certainly true. As of this recording, I am the reigning and defending Magic rules manager. I frequently get challenges, though, so who knows? <laughs> By the time you're listening to this, it could be some other guy. Is that what the bodies are that pile up outside? Let's not talk about that. All right, all right. So you've been rules manager for, like... Three, four years now, right? Uh, yes, it feels like three or four years, exactly. Uh, since uh, Innistrad was the first set that I worked on fully. Okay. And, and along with that, you're part of R&D's editing team. True. So you help oversee the sets, make sure the cards all say what they need to say. Yeah, we're kind of responsible for you know anything we print, so cards, packaging, player's guides, books... You know, if it shows up on a, on a physical object, it usually runs by our team. Right. So welcome. We want to have you in Thanks. here to talk about Theros. There's awesome. Lots of exciting cards we're going to get to. Yes. Before we talk about Theros, though, we're going to talk about another exciting event. Tifa has changed her name by way of marriage. Yes. And we were all at your wedding last weekend. You were. It was actually two weekends ago when this episode comes out, but... You had a wonderful wedding on Friday the 13th. Yeah, very exciting date that we picked. And you have our ex-co-host, Mike Robles, as the groom at your wedding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, and we actually, our entire wedding was pretty inspired by magic. There was a lot of references. Um, We actually opened booster packs, which our vows were inside, Yep. which was great. Um, And we had, like, our vows on magic cards, um, and even in the vows, we referenced things like uh, I called him my first pick, and he said that our love was mythic rare, uh, things like that that were you know really fun and meaningful. Uh, and we also used cards for uh, table, like we used planes for table names and used magic cards to label them. Um, so you know, lot, lots of ways that we had that, and we even had a draft or multiple drafts and our own TO uh, Allison Medwin who works here. I'm sitting in the wedding, and, or and I'm sitting in the uh, viewing area for the wedding, and Allison comes in wearing T.O. outfit, like a, a black judge shirt. She was all dressed up, ready to run drafts. She, yeah. had, her, she had her judge shirt on. This is true. <laughs> yep. She was pretty excited. She said she, she finally had an excuse to her judge shirt to a wedding. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's just one thing you can check off the list. That one is hard to get, let me tell you. I mean, unless there's like a family, a family member you don't like, it's going to be tricky to wear a judge shirt to a wedding. Yep. So. But it's very exciting. We wanted to have this episode recording today because you actually leave us for like a week and a half for your honeymoon. Yeah, I'm going to London, um, and the pre-release is this weekend, which right. is great because I actually have the opportunity to spell sling at Eclectic Games in London, which I'm really excited for. I've talked to them a little bit and seen pictures of their store, and it looks like a great place to go play Magic. So given that you're traveling internationally, are you concerned about any language barriers you might encounter <laughs> in London? 
Well, I'm hoping their accents aren't, you know, too too heavy. Okay. I'll actually be able to understand. But they do speak English in England. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Well, you've listened to enough Rich Hagon, too. I think, <laughs> I think you should be fine there. Matt, could you let us know about all the English translations for the Theros cards? We need to yes. Some of those. Uh, fortunately, uh, most of the cards kind of do what they say they do, so we don't, we don't have to worry about that too much. Awesome. Well, congratulations again, Tifa. We're really excited for you. The wedding was wonderful. Uh, I, I'm somewhat let down you didn't ask us to podcast the wedding, but I'll get <laughs> over it because Theros is happening right now, guys. As we said, the pre-release is happening or has happened by the time you're listening to this, and you finally know how awesome Theros is. We're like in the future, dude. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels like I've been working on Theros forever now, and to finally see the cards, have them in your hands, be able to talk about them, play with them, and to be able to kind of reveal all the secrets that went into the making of it. It's, it's a great time to be playing Magic, and it's great for me because I get to see you guys playing with the stuff I worked on. And you worked on Theros a fair bit. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't on the development team, but I playtested a lot of this set and tried to get everything into the right place. Um, and we ended up with a set that it's, it's really going to impact standard. I mean, we've been used to Innistrad and the graveyard themes for so long, and now we're finally coming to something very different, and it's going to change the format and how you expect the form. For, and how you expect the format to be played dramatically. Plus, M13 rotates out, too. So you lose Thrag Tusk, you lose some of those cards that have been around for a while now, and you get a bunch of fresh new faces, a whole new cast of Planeswalkers, some great new mechanics, and then this wonderful sheen of Greek flavor on top of it all. Right. Uh, also, along with these changes, is, is that mana bases are no longer trivial. We've introduced a fair bit of traction and difficulty with mana bases for multicolored decks. Sure, you still got all the Shocklands, but you lose what Innistrad provided, and you've gained the temples from Innis- from uh, Theros. Right. I mean, you lost the M13 untapped, the Buddy Lands, as I call them, mm-hmm. and the, also the Innistrad ones. So suddenly, you know, you, you lose these ten crucial manifesting lands from the format. Now, the Scry Lands are great. Don't get me wrong. They're wonderful, wonderful lands. But it's simply put, just five fewer lands than you'd have otherwise. So mana bases are a little harder to put together. You can still build, you know, your three-color deck pretty easily, but going up to some of the five-color craziness is a little harder. Plus, you lose Farseek and Ranger's Path, which are two cards that were used to really accelerate your mana out and also fix your colors really easily. The pre-release has happened. You all were there. Hopefully, you got your hero card from choosing the path that you took on the pre-release. That is the first hero card for you to gain to face the Hydra on on Theros game day. But that's not the only hero card you'll get for the Theros game day. Your next one is actually this coming Friday... There will be a new challenge in your store for the release of Theros, which will involve solving a puzzle that once you go to your store owner and say, here's the answer, they'll give you your second hero card that you'll be able to use to help you fight against the Hydra. Hydra's pretty awesome. We talked about it. We had Dave Guskin on last episode. But definitely make sure you get your hero cards. Just because you got a pre-release run, you want to make sure you get a launch one so you have both of them to face the Hydra. Yeah, you got to take down that jerk Hydra. That guy's mean. <laughs> like, has heads and, like, fights you, and he's kind of, yeah, he's a big jerk. It's like he's a monster. <laughs> so, <laughs> Matt, back. Yeah. Rules manager. True. What problems Still did true. you face with Theros? So, I mean, any set brings lots of new mechanics. Um, you know, we always joke in R&D, it's like design's job is to make a magic cards look nothing like any magic card that's come before it. It's my job to make magic cards look exactly like magic cards that have come before it. So, I mean, the mechanics in Theros are a little on the heavier side when we talk about rules complexity. Um, you know, bestow is a thing. 
monstrosity went through about 17 different variations before we finally settled on uh, its template, what it looks like. So, you know, a lot of the challenges are just making sure that things are as clear as possible, everything works together. Theros was not unusual in this regard. I mean, I do this for every set. But, you know, Theros mechanics are are cool. Um, You know, we, we get a lot of help because of the flavor is so strong that, you know, they... They may read a little complicated, but they they play very intuitively. So, I remember when we were first working on Theros, and you remember that far back? That's impressive. And we came up with the first iteration of Bestow, and we had to work so much with you guys to make sure we could actually get this mechanic to work. And for example, like with Bestow, when you bestow onto a creature, if they kill the creature in response, if they kill the creature in response, your enchantment creature still comes into play as a creature as opposed to fizzling and going off and going off the stack. So I know you guys did a lot of rule stuff to make sure that Bestow would work at kind of optimum optimum efficiency. I'm I'm shocked and alarmed by the number of informal rules terms you just used. <laughs> fizzling in play, what is going on over there? Uh, yeah, no, Bestow was kind of a, a sticky wicket, as they might say at Tifa's pre-release next weekend, or release event, or last week. And this time traveling thing is rough. Um, originally, uh, one iteration of it actually just always entered the battlefield uh, by itself, and then if you paid the bestow cost, which at the time was an additional cost, not an alternative cost, it you know became an aura and jumped on the creature. So it was you know literally hitting the battlefield and then bestowing itself onto the creature, which was nice and flavorful. But then other things, you know, as the set came together. It was really important that those worked with heroic, so you really wanted to target them as spells. And one tricky thing about Bestow is, like, we have trained everybody for 20 years now. I mean, auras work a certain way, right? You cast an aura, if the target goes away, your aura gets countered, heads to the graveyard. It's just how auras work. Bestow is like, that is not how auras work anymore. So, um, to be clear, just the Bestow, guys. We haven't made that change for everything. So it's a it's not unusual that people be a little confused by this because we're sort of fighting against the grain here, but it's worth it. I mean, it's the, they're very you get a lot of powerful effects. They're very you know awesome, and you don't set yourself up at risk for those two for ones if you. Uh, well, to be fair, bestow is just doing what a lot of mechanics do. It's changing the rules of the game. It just so happens that in this case. It's a very fundamental change in the, for the still creatures. Yeah, I mean, this is it's really getting to the heart of what auras are. So, you know, we, we fight a little informational battle because players are used to a certain thing. But, you know, it's worth it. The, the cards are a lot of fun, and, you know, you, you'll see. The, the set plays awesomely, so that's, well, that's our goal. It still manages to keep in that flavor that we were all going for, too. That, you know, it's that, like, bestow. Like, you're paying a little bit extra... Yeah, I mean, the gods send so, their, yeah. you know, uh, snakes, their, you know, Erebus' emissary, the card I'm looking at right now. They, they send their creatures down to the battlefield to help you, gifts from the gods. And uh, yeah. if you're not there to receive that gift, well, they'll just hang out and fight themselves. They're, they're good. And it's always, I mean, it's always super important the mechanic looks good because it gets something this complex down to, what, four lines of text is pretty, pretty impressive and also not have the weird thing. You mentioned the snap-on. Um, bestow creatures where you would put them into play and then they would like become an aura and attach to a creature. Right. And those are really strange because, for example, if you bestowed your tutu and the, your opponent shocked it when it was in the battlefield, suddenly it would just vanish and nothing would get attached to anything. 
and that right. was really strange. Uh, which so- somewhat mimics the functionality of what happens. I mean, in that case, your bestow creature would just stay on the battlefield, which is kind of what happens now, but really it was the interaction with Heroic that kind of drove that change. But it was also just being able to shock the bestow creature when it was in play before it had attached on. Oh, the sure, sure, sure. yeah. Being able to Doomblade the thing before it became an aura. Right, so like, yeah. I'll bestow my no, Celestial was... Archon, I'll Doomblade your Celestial Archon before right. it be- becomes attached to the creature. Yeah. Good thing we have a, a crack rules team to work on this guy. The God's though. Gifts are a little faster than all that. So. <laughs> right. No Doomblade for you. So you said that Theros was not exceptional in the amount of rules, questions, or issues that you had to deal with as the rules manager. Do you feel that perhaps top-down sets do have a bit more of a challenge because they want to do things that enable flavor more than necessarily game mechanics? Sometimes. I mean, Theros was certainly on the high side. It wasn't anything exceptional like, say, double-faced cards. Um, You know, since, I guess, M10, I mean, there's really just been this sort of refocusing on flavor and intuitive gameplay and I mean I, the word intuition gets thrown around around a lot and sometimes that varies from person to person which you sure. know can, can make it unpredictable um, but we're really just trying to tell a story with each card and it, it really works best when everything kind of informs that story rules text reminder text name art you know the, the flavor the flavor text the artist's name that's very important um, no I'm kidding <laughs> um, magic cards are, are best when they tell a cohesive story. So when working on these rules, we definitely take advantage of flavor aspects. Uh, but some of the things are weird, right? Like this is a gift from a Greek god. Maybe p- players don't really have familiarity with that. But we're sort of relying on kind of the cultural tropes and what they what they know. Well, I was able to be on the flavor text team this really? time around for cards, uh, for card names and flavor. Um, so I hope that you know, helped you. And then even after the flavor text team, the creative writing team is done. You know, it goes through editing, and we always make changes and adjustments. Mm-hmm. So every person along the process believes the set is theirs. You, <laughs> yeah. you, you talk to the designers, they're like, "Oh yeah, my set." Blah blah blah. And development is like, "Oh yes, this was my set." No, no, yeah, they're all wrong. It's editing, really. We're the last stop. So <laughs> see, well, I, I think all our sets. It's the same for packaging too, because I actually the set. Normally, I take a look at the packaging text that's written by the creative team before it goes to editing. This time around, I actually wrote it. Um, Other people on my team took a look at it, and then it went to editing. But uh, I came up with the Release the Kraken name for one of our intro packs, which is maybe the most... the thing I am most excited for sure. for all of the writing I've done for the set. Tying into that. No, and our writing team does a fantastic job. I mean, I, I will crow about the editing team all day, but um, the truth is we get a lot of good material handed to us. So yeah, they were easy. great to work with. It was awesome to be able to explore that creative side of things. So, Matt, I can think of a few cards that might fit this bill, but which card in Theros do you think was the most complicated or you spent the most time trying to get right? Oh, let's see. So there are a few. Um, one that leaps to mind immediately, of course, is Pelucranos World Eater, um, that mythic, massive Hydra. One of the face cards for the dual decks, Heroes yeah. vs. Monsters. Yeah, so, th- I mean, that was one of the challenges, actually. So it's appearing in Heroes vs. Monsters, which, of course, is on a different schedule than Theros. So it was really important. We needed to nail this down a little bit earlier than we otherwise would have. So this card obviously had a lot of challenges. Uh, its design name was Fight O Hydra, as I recall. <laughs> Fight O Hydra. Correct. <laughs> one of my favorite design names. Clever, you guys. Um, so it's, it's got a lot of things going on. Uh, it has Monstrosity, 
Uh, even more than that, it has Monstrosity X, which is this whole new thing, Monstrosity X. It also has this other ability where it really wants to fight multiple creatures. But we decided long ago when we created the fight word, the the, the rules term, that fighting would always be between two creatures. Right. Um, it's a little ambiguous if you have a creature saying, I'm fighting three creatures. Does that mean I distribute my damage? Do I deal my power to each of them? It was just a little confusing, so we decided not to go there and limit fight to one creature versus one creature. So Pelucranos is, like I said, in the Heroes vs. Monsters dual deck, so we're working on it early. And the thing we can't quite figure out, so it's got X, and it has a second ability that wants to refer to X. The rules don't play altogether nicely with that. Usually, that value of X can't, like, magically pass, because you're doing it at different times. You activate the monstrosity ability, monstrosity resolves, the ability triggers. By that time, the value of X is long forgotten. Sure. So, we're... We under most circumstances we would have to work in the definition of what X is into that second ability, but it was way too long. If you look at Pelucranos, it's uh, quite a bit of text. So finally, I'm working on this problem, you know, probably for about a week, just looking at different angles, different ways we can approach it. And it finally, hit me. Well, why don't we just make an exception for Monstrosity X in the rules? The magical thing about being rules manager, the thing you quickly realize. <laughs> We can pretty much write the rules how we want to write them. It's, so I wrote in an exception, and it works. And snap, it, It's snap. like you're the creator of the game or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's <laughs> snap my fingers, and it worked. It was magical. <laughs> so if you lose the Pelucranos, blame Matt Tabak. You can email him at... <laughs> no, Matt. I can't even tell you how many times I tried to kill that card uh, you know, as we went along. I, I submitted alternate designs. I was like, why don't we do this? And development was like, no, this card is awesome. It must be this way. So sometimes, you know, I, I certainly have the ability to kill cards for rules reasons as they go through design and development. I try not to use it too often because, you know, a lot of these designs are very cool and innovative and I want the game to be as fun as I can. Sometimes you can't avoid it, but I knew Pelucranos would come out okay. So I'm just excited for green removal for my mono hydra deck that I'm making. <laughs> That's a fair excitement. I'm excited for it for my uh, Carador All Creatures Commander deck. I'm excited uh, to smash people with a 5-5 five, five for 4 in standard. <laughs> that enemy. Enemy of fun. Enemy of me winning. <laughs> Fair enough. You, your Polychronos is only 5-5? Five, five? That's weak, dude. Until I untap, then I'm going to destroy all your mana elves and okay. attack you for 7. And you're going to be so sad and now we're be delicious. Now we're talking. We've talked about monstrosity. We've talked about bestow. Let's talk a little about the gods. The gods went through a number of different changes in R&D, and they eventually landed on legendary enchantment creature-god. And they all have indestructible. We recently made a rules change for indestructible. Did I have any play in Theros, or was that inspired by Theros? Uh, the change to indestructible wasn't particularly inspired by Theros. Um, obviously, the gods have indestructible, so the, the change was felt. But this was more just sort of a, a cleanup that we do as a matter of course, you know, okay. just correcting some player confusion. I'm sorry I don't have any Theros-specific uh, no, stories all right. for you. Well, one story about the gods that I'm sure you could certainly relate with a little is when we first showed you the design of the gods that had them going into Nyx. Yes, this is true. Um, originally, you cast the gods, and if they were entering the battlefield from anywhere except Nyx, they would go into Nyx. We were all ready to uh, create a new zone just for the gods called Nyx, um, which was incredibly flavorful, uh, a little weird, 
little unusual. Uh, we we not a well we want to go to very often because you don't want to sit down to your commander game. And you know, here's Nyx, and here's Alara, and here's <laughs> Innistrad, and and here's like the is it Steamworks, and also here's my planner deck. Right. Let's play Arch Enemy. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, and before I, you know it, you're at all the tables of my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But the problem with that version, of course, is there's so many lines of text. It was so strange. So something Matt does a lot, too, is I mean, we're developing cards and trying to make them work well. But Matt also helps us reel us in a little bit and be like, look, it's a nice idea, but it's going to take up six lines of text to explain to everybody. And you're not going to get to do anything else cool on this card. And Matt helped out a lot with the gods in that regard. Yeah, one of the rules I'm not allowed to change is the size of the text box. So... <laughs> And we do have a minimum font size because uh, they need to be, you know, legible and pretty. So there are definitely some uh, some cool mechanics out there that just won't work because it takes so long to explain what they are. Yep. So do you want to talk about devotion at all, maybe a little bit? No, not at all. All right. Do you? Never mind. No, I'm not, I'm not very devoted. Absolutely. Let's talk about devotion. <laughs> uh, clearly inspired by the chroma mechanic, of course, from Shadowmore Block. Uh, Devotion looks at the number of colored mana symbols of a certain color amongst the mana costs of permanence you control. So whereas Chroma kind of looked everywhere and looked for, you know, into different zones, different locations, Devotion is very clearly what you control on the battlefield. This is the mechanic I'm the most excited for. Really? Yeah, I really like playing uh, monocolored decks. The recently married person loves Devotion. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable. The, the thing that's really fun about Devotion for me is it totally changes how I look at every magic card ever printed because suddenly I might want to play with a white-white 2-2 two, two, instead of like a 1-white 2-2 two, two with an ability just because it has more mana symbols on it, which is crazy. I remember we were in development and we would constantly be trying to change our cards to you know, make sure they were a little stronger, a little weaker, and we kept making the same error or same mental error of, oh, we'll just add another white mana symbol onto that card, and suddenly the card got a lot more powerful. I remember there was a point where Master of Waves had two blue mana symbols in its mana cost, and it was just crazy. It came out and instantly made two 2-1 tokens instead of just, just the one it makes now. Mm. So it's a weird development knob we had to look at and retrain ourselves a little bit on how we made those cards. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Necropotence finally being good with its <laughs> BDB casting cost. That was their Maybe it'll cost. finally make a splash. You know, yeah, I was uh, really happy that card got powered up. No. Well, with Dark Prophecy and M14, we certainly, in M14, tried to seed a few cards for Theros. So Dark Prophecy will hopefully uh, maybe take hold as a mono-black staple. We'll see. Yeah, that's probably one of the more interesting things we do now is uh, in, in sets, kind of have those seed cards for the future that you may or may not pick up on at the time. I know a lot of uh, enchantment-liking cards in M14 got uh, attention at the time, like, oh, that's unusual. And, of course, that pays off big in Theros. I love Devotion as a mechanic. I think it's a great change or uh, evolution to Chroma. And I love, honestly, seeing mechanics evolve. Like, But I think it's one of the best parts of Magic, and especially in the R&D side of things, is reusing design space in just a slightly modified way. Sure. I mean, not everything has to be shiny new. Like, it has to be good. It has right. to make sense. Like, we're, we're making the greatest game ever made, and sometimes that's going to call for... A lot of innovation and shiny new things, and you know, some sets have double face cards, and some sets bring back Scry. It just right. that's just how it is. Yeah, we haven't touched on Scry yet. Scry is such a powerful mechanic. And holy segways, Batman! Holy segways, um, Matt Tayback, you're my favorite. 
Scry is just an awesome mechanic for a number of ways. One, it just helps you in all sorts of ways. And we put it so frequently here that it's really going to help smooth out decks for new players. I think that's one thing. People people think of it as like, oh, I don't get to draw the card off of it. But what it really is most beneficial for you is burying the cards that you don't want to draw right now. Yeah, Scry is an awesome mechanic, not only for Constructed, but Limited, too. In Limited, we often try and have some kind of card filtering mechanics. So if you're getting mana flooded, you can find some more spells. If you're light on lands in the early game, you can find some more lands. And Scry does that admirably. You have some cards that, you know, let you look at your top few cards, put them on the bottom, keep the cards you want, and helps make sure the games are exciting even going into the late game as you as you have plenty of card flow without the raw card advantage of, oh, I'm just going to draw three cards and then draw three cards again. And suddenly I've got six cards in my hand. You get the cards you want. But you don't get a huge mass of cards, which is always leads to some exciting games. Well, yeah. and again, Scry ties into that flavor. And what's great is that we had an ability that existed that ties into the flavor. Like we could use this ability without creating a whole new one. And you know, it it really ties into like oracles mm-hmm. and you know prophecies and stuff like that. Uh, that you know you think about with some Greek mythology, and you know especially in blue, like. They're the philosophers of the Theros world, and that scry mechanic really helps bring that together. Yeah, I, I actually remember the day that Theros moved into development, or it was one of the very early days of Theros development. Eric Lauer, who was the lead development on the set, came back to the R&D area, and he was like, all right, Mark Rosewater, I want to talk with you. And normally when this happens, it can get a little contentious. You know, there's the, the head designer and, you know, this, and the... And the guy who's leading the set talking about what they want to add to the set. And Eric's like, all right, how about Scry? Could we do it, Mark? Would it, would it be okay with you? And Mark's like, yeah, sounds awesome. So it was one of the least contentious discussions <laughs> I've ever seen happen in the pit. Everyone, everyone, everyone was just like, great. Scry sounds awesome for this set. It's a great limited smoothing mechanic. I'm on board. And that's why Eric wanted it was for limited smoothing. Turns out there's some great constructed cards. Fits with the theme. Just a huge home run in my book. And I'm excited to have Scry back and be able to magma jet people again. Uh, as a fan of New Benalia one of those lands with Scry. I'm really excited to use the Temples uh, and just make use of their Scry ability in Limited as well as in Commander and Constructed. Yeah, Scry is uh, pretty underrated, I think. it's. I'm never unhappy. It's underrated amongst perhaps less experienced players. Uh, I would say more less experienced. Less experienced players, yes. Uh, certainly the... The, the pros out there know, realize the value of, of Scry. At worst, it, it's information, and uh, information is always going to help you in your games. Uh, at best, you're smoothing out your draws, like Gavin said. Scry is kind of just what what I want to be doing all the time. <laughs> um, there, there are more powerful things. You know, drawing cards is better, but Scry is really awesome and really helps out. Well, that was a fun romp across Theros. We talked about all the different mechanics. Uh, before we go, Matt, I wanted to ask you, uh, not from a rules perspective, just as you personally, what oh. is your favorite magic card? My favorite magic card. So this has changed over the years. So originally I was really drawn to Prodigal Sorcerer. Sure. I just want to Tim the bejesus out of everything. Yeah. So for those who don't know, since we haven't had a Prodigal Sorcerer in a long time, it's, true. it's one of the early creatures in magic. It was two colorless and blue. Uh, creature wi- human wizard is that what it was yeah he was to? a wizard at the time I think he was a wizard at the time I think we might have added human when he yeah. uh, did the great type lines changes and he was a 1-1 that you could tap to deal 1 damage to target creature or player I mean it was awesome it was like attacking without the threat of them blocking right. I just I felt so powerful just I want to sit back I just want to control everything I just want to kill all your dudes sure that is my MO 
So is that what it started out as, or is that where it is currently? Where? where as your oh, no. Part. So that was, uh, this is actually going to be like a 12-part answer. Okay. In the beginning, there was Prodigal Sorcerer. Um, my favorite magic card right now is probably... I am going to go with the card that the very first deck I built was based around, and that is Hidden Path. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, my my the very first deck I ever actually just built myself was Gaia's Liege, Hidden Path, Give You Forests, Run You Over. Uh, it had Force of Nature. It had like every green card I owned at the time. Uh, I think it was like a hundred and twenty eight card deck. Uh, still still holds a place in my heart. I, second place, I was almost going to go with Spiny Starfish, uh, another deck that I, that I loved, the Salad Shooter deck. Sure. Um, for those of you not familiar with Hidden Path. How could you not know what Hidden Path is? <laughs> because it's from the dart. <laughs> it's quadruple green and two colorless. Oh, man, I should dig that deck out. It's even better. I can throw some devotion. Yeah, you can play Nylia and Nylia online. And, and it has Forest Walk. How sweet is that? Yep. It give, it's an enchantment that gives... And it's an enchantment, so it works also with Forest Walk. Oh, my walk. goodness. What a good choice. Green creatures have Forest Walk. Now, this is a, uh, this is all players have this. So if your opponent has green creatures, you're in trouble, too. There's kind of a running theme uh, with all my favorite cards and my decks. I don't like my attacking creatures being blocked. So... Tim's, you know, Prodigal Sorcerers sure. let you kind of dodge combat altogether. Landwalk lets you cruise on by. I'm not a big fan of being blocked. <laughs> I approve of your favorite two cards being blue and green because those really are the best colors <laughs> to play together. Which is weird for me because I'm more of a gruel guy. You would think I'd be Azorius, but wait, what are we talking about? Theros. <laughs> well, it has been great having you, Matt. We will definitely have you back on Oh, I appreciate again. it. This was fun. Uh Thanks to all of you for listening. You can find this episode and more on the Daily MTG website, dailymtg.com. I'm your host, Trick Jarrett. You can find me on Twitter, TrickMTG. Tifa Mayan. Uh, you can hit me up at at TabakRules, T-A-B-A-K-R-U-L-E-S. See, it's funny because he's the rules manager, but he also rules. It's clever. And you can find me on Twitter at Gavin Verhey, just my first name and my last name together, nice and original. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. Until then, enjoy Theros. Enjoy your pre-release. Have fun. Send us stories. Peace out.